With all that goes on in the month of December, by the time we get to Christmas Eve, December 24th, we have a few things we need to get off of our chest. I have some things I need to get off of my chest. I call these my Christmas confessions. Confessions number one. We have an angel and a star at the top of our Christmas tree. Not because I'm so spiritual that I wanted to double up on the biblical imagery, but in, bo- but in order to break up the vigorous discussion between my two oldest daughters about who would place the final ornament atop the tree. Confession number two. I lost the battle to ban oversized ornaments this year. If you'll take a look. <laughs> Confession number three. I ran so low on Christmas cards, I had to repossess a few from some unsuspecting relatives and resend out to other people. Confession number four, I never got the timers on our little Williamsburg Christmas candle synced up properly, so only one quarter of our house is lit at any given time. (laughs) Confession number five, I've had more than a handful of people come up to me in random public places and say the following... Are you the guy who belted out every word of let it go at Chick-fil-A last Saturday? (laughs) The answer to that question is, the snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. I thought all the kids were in here. Here's a picture of Anna and Elsa. Yes, I was that guy belting it out at Chick-fil-A. And my final confession, speaking of singing, confession number six. I watched the Michael Buble Christmas special twice. (laughs) I think if we're honest, we all have some Christmas confessions to make. So why don't you turn to your neighbor, whoever's sitting around you, and just say, here's my Christmas confession, that thing I was holding back that I wasn't going to admit, but the pastor asked me to, so whisper to your neighbor your Christmas confession. Oh, I love hearing that laughter. (laughs) See, we all have some Christmas confessions to make. I have heard two rounds of audible laughter twice in the worship room. We all have Christmas confessions to make. As Doug read earlier... The Gospel of Matthew makes its own Christmas confession, not about oversized ornaments or Canadian crooners named Michael Buble, but Matthew makes his own Christmas confession about who Jesus is, the nature of his character, why he came into this world. We read it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. And following, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is Matthew's Christmas confession. That God is indeed with us. We heard these words from the Bowers family lighting the Advent candle from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We read this. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. That's the identity of the baby in the manger, the image of the invisible God. Matthew's Christmas confession is that God has come to be with us. We've been in a series this Advent season here at the chapel. It's called Glimpses of the Manger, where we actually walk through different passages in the Old Testament to see how God all along was revealing bits and pieces of, who his, of what his character was. We saw a video earlier in the service set to the music of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. People were desperate for him to come. People were waiting for him to come. We saw scenes that have depicted over millennia upon millennia of God working with his people. And we come to the moment when he comes. Matthew makes his Christmas confession that God is with us. During that series, as we glimpsed the manger all throughout December, we asked questions. There was a question that went along with each sermon. Questions like, what are you waiting for? What are you doing here? Who is your king? Who does God save? We started with the story of Abraham him waiting for God's gracious presence to be revealed. Moved to Elijah, who was so burned out, he was, God asked him, what are you doing here? How did you get to this place of burnout? As we saw God's renewing character. We looked at Isaiah, God giving Isaiah a vision so he could know who his true king was. We looked at Daniel, looked at the scope, the, the breathless scope of God's ability to save. I don't want to, not telling us about a review of where we've been for some kind of theological test. The reason I wanted to review the past four weeks of where we've been, even if, you've, even if you're coming tonight for the first time, is because of this. I want us to all see the redemptive plan of God moving throughout history. I want us to see that Christmas is not the celebration of a moment in time, but it's a reminder of the creator God's relentless and mysterious movement toward his creation. And so I believe there's only one question left to ask. After all these questions of Advent have been asked over the past four weeks, what are you waiting for? What are you doing here? Who is your king? Who does God save? There's one more question to ask, and I'd like to ask it this evening. The question is this. What is my response? What's my response to all of this? What is my response to a God that relentlessly moves throughout history, moves toward me, and shows up as a baby in a manger, Matthew's Christmas confession that God is with us? What will my response be? Well, in the second chapter of Matthew, we actually see three responses, three possible responses the first one I call Herod's response. Herod's response is one of one to carefully oppose this God that is relentlessly and mysteriously seeking him. Herod is the king in Israel at the time. Herod, uh, Herod had a, a magnificent palace. Herod had servants. Herod had people that would attend to his every need. He was commander of the guard. Herod had a lot at stake if there would be a new king. And so when the Magi come to Herod and they say, we saw a star rising in the east, 
We believe it signals the birth of, of a new king. We've come seeking a new king in Israel. Herod's a little nervous. We actually read his response in Matthew chapter, three, chapter 2, verse 3. It says he was disturbed. Herod is disturbed at the news of the Magi. But he doesn't come out and say that he's opposed to the king. Instead, we see what he does is he calls the Magi secretly. He pinpoints the exact time of when the star appeared. He calls all of his uh, teachers together, the, the, the priests and the prophets, the people who interpreted scripture at the time. He, he figures out where this new king might have been born. And he sends the Magi off. He says, why don't you go? Make a careful search for the child. And when you find him, report to me so that I might too go and worship him. And if you have a, a Bible here tonight or when you get home, you can just insert in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, smoke screen. Just fill in those words, smoke screen. Herod never had any intention of worshiping this king. He was opposed to this king from the very beginning, but it was a careful opposition. It was a calculated opposition. For in pleasant society, you don't oppose God's anointed. You don't oppose the Messiah, but you find careful and crafty ways to keep him at an arm's distance in your life. Is your response one of careful opposition? Are you carefully opposing the king by constructing your life in such a way that maybe you just don't have time to prioritize being a part of a community of faith. Maybe you just don't have time to prioritize actually searching out the questions that have been weighing you down maybe since your youth or since you've experienced some tragedy in adulthood. And so you carefully arrange your life so you won't ever have to confront this king. Is it an opposition? Oftentimes people don't have an outright opposition. They have a careful opposition to the king. The next possible response, I believe, is represented by the priests and the teachers that Herod calls. Their response is one to passively ignore the king. Herod calls them up, and he says, where is this king to be born? And they, they go to the scripture, and they, they read it out. They say, he's to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You see, they actually know where the king is to be born. They know the exact place. They're sitting in Jerusalem. They're a mere five miles from the location of the king. And I find it incredibly odd that they don't actually go and see this king that they have been studying about all of their lives. They passively ignore his arrival. He's five miles away, and they say, we'll just stay here reading our books, kind of gaining some head knowledge about this, but never letting it move, the knowledge move from our heads to our hearts, from our hearts to our hands, to how we might actually live differently in light of the fact that this king that we've read about, that we've studied about, that he actually has arrived, we're just going to sit here in Jerusalem and do nothing. Let's passively ignore this arrival of the king. If you find yourself in one of these first two categories, one of uh, careful opposition or of passively ignoring the king, 
I'd like to ask you, how is this response working for you? How is this response working for you? How is your life in light of receiving and responding to Jesus in this way? The other day, I I had to take a, a trip. It's a trip that nobody wants to take during the holiday season. I'm not talking about the trip to the in-laws' house. I like my in-laws. They're good people. I'm talking about a trip to Jefferson Avenue. No one wants to go to Jefferson Avenue during the Christmas season. But there I went. I have to be careful because my daughters are in this service, so I can't give any of what we call my house elf activity away, what I was really doing down on Jefferson Avenue. We just call it elf activity. And there I was down on Jefferson Avenue because the store in Williamsburg did not have the item. So I had to drive down to Newport News, and I walked into a store. And as soon as I walked into the store, this was my first thought when I heard the beep, beep, beep at the cash register, when I saw, you know, know, people just kind of elbowing each other out of the way for the latest gifts, people grabbing stuff, people holding on to things. This was my first response. I just thought to myself, something's not working here. Something's not working here. But there I went into the store and I found the object that I was looking for. And I, I grabbed that object and, and I brought it back up to, to the area where, where you check out. And the line was just massive. It was just a massive line. So I stood there with everyone else full of anger and disgust as Jesus intended us to feel during the Christmas season. So I stood there in anger and disgust with everyone else around me feeling the same anger and disgust. I had that same thought. I really thought something about this just isn't working. And, and I'm eyeing, you know what we're all eyeing when we're standing in that long line. I'm eyeing the customer service counter. Because I'm thinking, does that cash register work to purchase things? Does it only work for returns? We're always thinking about that. We're always, they're kind of standing there. I'm like, would they help me if I walked up to the customer service counter? And I glanced to my left for a split second. And all of a sudden, the customer service counter person waved to the person right behind me. They walked up and they checked out. I was stuck in that line. I finally got up to the, to the cash register. And the cashier only had one item. The cashier scanned, scanned the item. And she said, oh, that's not the right barcode. So she scanned another barcode. She scanned another barcode. We scanned five barcodes, and this is what she said to me. Something about this isn't working. I thought, that's what I've been thinking the whole time. (laughs) She really said that to me. Something about this isn't working. So she went back to the first barcode. She scanned the first barcode. She scanned the second barcode. I looked at her. I said, something about this isn't working. And so finally, I took matters into my own hands because on the box was a sticker with the price. I removed the sticker with the price. I held it up and I said, I will pay you double (laughs) if you let me leave this line. As I removed that sticker, it revealed yet a sixth barcode. (laughs) She scans it. The price didn't match the sticker versus what came up in the computer. And I said, here's an extra $5. If you get this worked out later, you just keep that $5. And I walked out of the store. But she said it to me, what I was feeling the whole time. Something about this is not working. And I would suggest, if you're in one of these first two categories, if you have Herod's response or the priest's response, and the teacher's response. I bet if you got real honest with yourself, you might say the same thing. 
Something about this response just doesn't seem to be working. I'm not fulfilled. I don't have meaning and purpose in my life. Relationships around me are crumbling. I'm in so much pain. Or I've got that anger that you're talking about standing in those lines. Something about this isn't working. And so I'd like to suggest a third response. It's the Magi's response. The Magi's response is this. They faithfully seek and they surrender. They saw a star. They knew it must mean something. They, they went after it. They had questions, but they sought to make sure their questions were, were answered. They pursued, uh, they pursued Jesus on a long journey, even though it, it wasn't just an instantaneous thing that clicked right away in their minds. They pursued him for a long time to make sure every question they had was answered. Jesus says later on in his ministry, those who seek really will find. And when they find him, they, they surrender to him. They, they bow down. They, they open their treasure chest, the Bible says. They presented him with gifts. They don't just seek after him. They surrender. They bow. And I, I want to take note of the, the two things they receive when they do this. Matthew 2.10, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They received joy. Something about this is working for them. Something about faithfully seeking and surrendering does work. They receive joy. They also receive guidance for their lives. At the end, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They go back to their country by a different way. That is life working at its best. Joy for the moment, whatever the situation is. Guidance for our journey, how we are to live. Most importantly, they, re they receive salvation. For to say that Matthew's Christmas confession is that God is with us is an incomplete confession. Emmanuel is just one of two names that we read about in Matthew chapter 1. We read that he's to be called Emmanuel, God with us, but we also read that he's to be named Jesus. The angel's very clear about that. He's to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. And Matthew goes out of his way to make this point again in verse 25. After the whole story is over, he says that Joseph made sure to give him the name Jesus. God saves. And so what is your response to Christmas? I pray that all of our response might be to make a complete Christmas confession. God is with us. And God longs to save us. So let us faithfully seek and surrender to him who so faithfully sought us on the first Christmas, who promised to continue seeking us to the very end of the age and who surrendered his life in death to save us from death, to save us from all of our destructive habits that wage against our soul to make us all say something about this isn't working. Jesus longs to save us to say something is working and it's me. It is my salvation for I long to seek and save those who are lost. So will you make a complete Christmas confession? God is with us and God longs to save us. As we ponder these thoughts together, I'd like to ask Ted to come and begin the playing of Silent Night. And as Ted plays this carol, we will light 
candles from the Christ candle. These candles from the Christ candle are a symbol. They're a symbol of joy, light in the darkness. They're a symbol of the guidance that the Magi received. And as your candle is lit, may you ponder the reality of making that complete Christmas confession this evening.